Welcome to the Better Business, Better Life podcast. Terry DuPont is the founder of DuPont Advisory Group, a group dedicated to providing comprehensive services to successful business owners, medical, and other professionals. Terry has top-of-the-table status in the prestigious International Million Dollar Roundtable, placing him among the top one-tenth of 1% of all professional financial advisors in the world. Terry's philosophy is, I've learned that I grow and prosper more by focusing on the success of others rather than fretting over my own. Terry is a certified financial professional with the Institute of Financial Wellness, an advisor for the power of zero taxes in retirement, chartered retirement plans specialist, certified wealth preservation planner, and certified philanthropic developer. On the podcast, Terry brings together experts in their field who have succeeded in building their business to share their secrets with you. And now, here's your host, Terry DuPont. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success. I'm your host, Terry DuPont, and today we're uh, privileged to have Ed Hensley with us. Ed is a CPA in Crawfordsville, Indiana, uh, the uh, west central part of the state. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. We're we're, we're glad to have you. Um, Ed, uh, if we did a little research and, and found some interesting things about you. Uh, all, all good, by the way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, can you tell me a little bit about you and, and why you started your career in accounting? Um, actually, the, <laughs> the biggest thing that got me here was probably uh, two big failures. Uh, one was in high school. I thought I was going to be an engineer, mm-hmm. and then I, then I met trigonometry, <laughs> and um, I I just beat my head against the wall. And I figured out what what it was when you get to the sines and cosines and tangents and cotangents. I wanted to know how it worked and mm-hmm. why it worked, and I was blessed to have a math teacher that actually was like a former NASA engineer. So he could sit there and explain to me, but it was way over my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I figured out I wasn't smart enough to figure out how it worked. Um, so that was probably the first failure. And then um, I kind of went from there. Um, we actually had even at our little country um, high school, we we actually had a guy that, that I mean, taught accounting. So um that was a, a, an opportunity to use the math skills and the mathematical logical, but still be able to solve the problem. Uh, the second failure was I, I was still thinking about engineering. Um, I was trying to get into West Point and actually made it through a bunch of the hoops. Uh, even got down, I had to go to Fort Knox and take my physical aptitude test and um, I always tell people that's when all this down here used to be up here. And uh, I did very well in that and went through each step and got kind of into the finals. And the the last thing that I wasn't able to get was congressional recommendation. And so didn't get that. And um, um, luckily I had uh, uh opportunity, the, um, 
it just just so happened that the basketball coach at Franklin um, was the interim admissions person. So he he's, he helped me out a lot in, in being able to uh, kind of have a late, because I wasn't going to find out from West Point until like July. Right. Uh, but he, he was able to help me and get me in touch with the people to get all that set up. So, so those two failures um, led me down the path. I uh, got to Franklin, um, <clears throat> majored in accounting, minor in business, and um, just kind of went from there. First going into after graduation, a little bit of time in public, but mainly in corporate accounting. And um, uh, did have a, <clears throat> a very wise CFO at one place I worked that even though it's going to be in corporate accounting, still pushed me to get the CPA designation. Um, went ahead and, and got that even while I was still in corporate. And mm-hmm. the opportunity arose. Um, it was, uh, I, I always joke that Hensley Accounting was kind of like Apple. It started in a buddy's garage. Mm-hmm. Um, had a buddy that uh, uh, had an excavation business, had gotten in a um, little bit tax problems he just gotten behind on things and in his garage we laid out all the papers and got everything organized and that's why we say Hensley Accounting started in a garage <laughs> um, and it kind of went from there you know he he told two friends he told two friends next thing I knew I had two full-time jobs and uh so I left corporate world and um went full-time with the firm um other than a, a couple little deviations for some kind of longer term contract work. And now the teaching at Wabash, um, uh, this is what I've been blessed to do for oh, probably a good part of the last uh, 20 plus years anyway. It, it's amazing how God works if, as, long as, as long as you're patient, you know? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think I read somewhere you, you grew up on a farm. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, very rural southern Indiana. Um, our, our, self, our, our, our actual land wasn't that much, but uh, uh, farmers all around me. Uh, yeah. What we would often do, there was, I, I lived about a quarter mile out of, well, I say out of town, but the town was a little town called Campbellsburg. It was probably two or 300 people, but that was town. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little basketball court. We'd go up there and be playing, and uh, some of the farmers would pull up and say, "Hey, I need three guys to help me today." And um, so a lot of it was that, just kind of on the spur. Some of it was after I got a little older. Um, some of the farmers would, uh, um, you know, call and say, "Hey, can you know, can you come do this? Can you come do that?" Especially when it got time to. Uh, um, you know, either putting up hay or cutting hogs or, or clearing a new field, getting all the rocks out and things like that. So, um, so yeah, just a lot of farm work. Um, and that's what, what I did most of the time. I did have the, um, the time I went and got my license to be a lifeguard. Okay. So I got to do that for uh, a little while for the summers, but uh, uh, compared to, putting up hay and detasseling and cutting hogs, that lifeguard 
job was was heaven. So. <laughs> do, you, do you think that, and I'm sure you probably did, but during that that farm work and and being with the you know older gentlemen that you know have were obviously wiser because of their age, et cetera. Um, did you do you feel that you were taught any valuable skills? Oh, absolutely. Um, my my wife still teases me to this day. Um, I love just kind of, for lack of a better term, just sitting at the feet of the of elders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I used to do that all the time. We, um, especially growing up, some of the old farmers. Um, there was, you know, a couple little coffee shops. You know, we call them liars clubs. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I I'd go in there, and I was probably the only teenager in the place. I was probably the only guy under sixty in the place, and um, and just sit there and, and listen to their stories. And yeah, some of them are, are, you know, they're kind of, I can tell they're kind of making it up, but, <laughs> but um, um, a lot of it, just some, just some of their wisdom and just some of their, um, you know, just in, in the middle of some far-fetched story would be, you know, a, a little nugget that, uh, that was probably the, their, their real meaning behind the whole story. Um, and, uh, that, and the, our, our close thing we had to a next door neighbor, um, I, I, I used to spend hours with him, you know, I'd go over and his, his wife had passed. And, um, so I'd go over there a lot and help him kind of clean out things in the barn, clear a fence row, things like that. And the whole time, just, just listening to him and, and, um, you know, he, he'd been to World War II and he'd uh, uh, come through that and, um, you know, came back from World War II and opened a store and, and kind of bought up land to build this farm and, and things like that. So just uh, the looking at them and think, okay, the, the, the patience it took to just kind of let things build, uh, not, not always pushing it, but pushing it hard enough, but being wise enough that, okay, if, you know, you're, you're pushing, pushing, pushing this way, but every indications to, to go a little bit to the left and that's going to work where this is never going to work. Um, so that, and, and thinking back about that, they, you know, like what I said earlier about wanting to be an engineer, I really want to be an engineer, but that just wasn't going to work for me. Um, and so, um, so yeah, there, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of wisdom in those old farmers. So. Well, it sounds like uh, some of those experiences, uh, uh, may have helped shape your approach to building your own accounting business. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Just the, the, the patience of letting it happen and, and still working hard, still, still having the goal and wanting to get there, but um, not, not being so forceful that I'm kind of pu- pushing, pushing through um, what is naturally happening anyway. Um, that, that was, yeah, that, that was a, a big lesson, and especially in Ben next door to um, how he would tell the the stories of just how everything kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of organically grew out of 
doing things he liked to do, doing things that he felt, for lack of a better term, called to do. And then at the, you know, then then after that, getting getting into college and, and um, learning not just accounting lessons, but just lessons in general there from um, well, the blessing of a, a school the size of Franklin, um, kind of like Wabash or DePaul, is just the connections you get with the professors. Right. And, you know, just just hanging out with them sometimes. So. Yeah. Um, during those times, what do you feel is the biggest challenge you faced to getting started? Um, probably just, I mean, I, I had those lessons, but nothing, not really a direct blueprint. Like I didn't have any of those mentors that was someone who had built an accounting firm. So, um, probably the, the hardest thing was, uh, kind of knowing the lessons, but not knowing exactly what to do. I mean, an accountant wants to go through a checklist. Hey, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Um, there was no checklist. I just, uh, you know, it's, it was more like you, you set this goal and you wanted to get there Mm -hmm. and they're, they're, kind of like the two big failures I've talked about before. I mean, there was a lot of times you, you'd start getting there and then fall, and then you start getting there and then fall. And, um, so that was probably the, the, the biggest thing. And, and honestly, when I, you know, first started, I had practically no capital, nothing like that. That's why I, I still worked in corporate for quite a while while I was starting to build it and get a client base down. So that was, that was probably the biggest challenge was, was just, um, um, yeah, just going through, um, getting through all those fiery hoops to, to get to where I wanted to be. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, what is something, uh, that you knew that you know now after all these years that you wish you knew, when you first started? Oh my. <laughs> you said only got a half an hour, right? No, no, you got plenty of time. <laughs> um, man, so, um, probably um, I've had to pick one, one of the biggest things is to not think everyone that comes through the door needs to be a client. Um, I've been able to, um, thankfully, you know, over, over the years, I've, I've, I couldn't tell you how many, how many just honestly clients I've fired, mm-hmm. um, just cause early on, anybody walked through the door, I, I was, I was signing them up. Um, you know, I, I don't care how, how big or how little the, the work needed to be. And then I, I, I dealt with the, um, as, as I'm sure you've seen that, you know, the, the proverbial client that, that thinks you just sit there and twiddle your thumbs the whole time. They're not needing anything. Um, and then as soon as they need something, they want everything dropped yeah. and just do their thing. And then when you bill them for it, they're like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, you're, they, you, they feel like they're the, your only client and you've got all day long to do something. Yeah, they're, they're your only client. And, um, you know, you, you should count it just a blessing to be able to, to do their work. Yeah. And, and that, that should be payment enough. Um, so, um, um, so that, you know, that, that's one type that, that it just, it took me a few years to realize, you know, some of these people aren't worth the time. Yeah. They got to be a good uh, fit for you and your personality and your practice. Exactly. I mean, it's got, cause, um, I mean, with a, a practice my size, of course, there, there's, certain things that from a manpower standpoint, I can't do. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not Cat Sapper Miller. I'm not Blue and Company. You know, I can't, you know, I can't send eight people out for an audit or something like that. So, uh, um, but at the same time, on the other end of that is, is one thing I've, I've kind of learned over the last 20 plus years is there are some of these people that, yeah, they, they need, help but the best thing i can do is um kind of the 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 teach a man to fish Mm -hmm. you know i kind of teach them to do some of the um some of the things they can do internally and they they've got the time they you know with a little bit of tutorial they can do it um so you know that way i'm not you know at, at a cpa level doing um input you know, basically bookkeeping, stuff like that. Um, And so um, that's something that, uh, you know, I think my 30 year old self was, was more as a no, everybody, I'll I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Come on. And uh, um, yeah, I've definitely learned that that's, that's not always the case. Is there something um, that you like to share with each and every client that you have philosophy or anything basically that um what i a lot of things i tell new new clients now is um that we're we're not going to um compromise on anything as far as ethics or tax law or anything like that um i have one client that always wanted to push that envelope um always always wanted to kind of look at the gray area and say okay let's let's do this and you know cross our fingers for three years the irs doesn't catch it and i'm like no um i had uh a one actually he'd been a client for for a while but when all the ppp loan stuff came out he never contacted me and i knew his business was never really slowed down through covid um, but he came in, he wanted me to help him fill out the paperwork for the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you never slowed down. What? And I said, you didn't really need the, the money. So what'd you do? And he said, I bought a boat. <laughs> like, um, you're going to pay this back. Mm-hmm. Didn't use it for, and he's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, well, then I'm, you can find another accountant to fill this out. So, um, so probably I, I and, and he was one of them in the back of my 30s, like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Um, but um, that's probably one of the, you know, the first things up front is, is you know, I just let him know that um, there's there's a level of 
um, uh, or it's not even a line in the sand. It's more, I mean, it's, it's a line in, in reinforced concrete that it's mm -hmm. not going to be crossed. Right. right. Uh, no matter what. So, and, you know, I just, especially a new client, I let them know, if, you know, if you try to cross that line, you're, you're going somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. In, in teaching um, um, financial, uh, managerial, uh, and intermediate uh, accounting at uh, Wabash College, um, that's an interesting addition uh, to your professional journey. A uh, little different. So how did this uh, teaching role come about and how has it influenced your perspective uh, possibly on uh, accounting and education? Um, great question. Um, well, it came about, I had just kind of here and there taught a couple classes at Harrison College that, you know, of course, no longer around. Um, but um, the... The opportunity at Wabash arose when, um, at the time, they only had two classes, just financial accounting and, and managerial, one in the fall, one in the spring. And they were being taught by kind of a semi-retired Purdue professor. Um, and he had gotten very sick. Uh, he, he had battled cancer before, had gone into remission, and then it came back with a vengeance. Um, <laughs> And he let the, the head of the uh, accounting over there is actually in the econ department. And he let the head of the econ department know about two weeks before class was going to start in spring of 2013 um, that he just couldn't do it. He just physically wasn't able to do it. Um, so just being a small town through connections, um, the, the gentleman who's head of the department that year, um, got in touch with me and said, hey, can you teach just this managerial class this spring? Um, I went over and met with the, the professor going out. He pretty much had everything laid out already. Um, so initially, it, it was like I was just going to be a sub for the semester. Mm -hmm. um, basically, just, just, just going through his slides and, and teaching uh, um, from his curriculum. So it was supposed to be a one semester gig. And <laughs> ten, ten, 10 years later. Mm -hmm. There you go. But, but what I found out was, I mean, I, I was kind of hesitant because, you know, it's, it's spring. It's right in tax season. Um, so I thought, am I really going to have time to go do this and, and right in the middle of tax season and all that? And what I discovered was what um how much a room full of 20 to 25 20 something year old guys can energize you um you know i'd go over there for a couple hours twice a week and um would come back more energized than than i mean and able to actually get more regular tax work done and stuff um the other thing that, and then after getting through that spring, I said, "Hey, would you, uh, for whatever reason, I, I, you know, I guess I got some positive reviews, and they asked, okay, would you be willing to come back in the fall and do the financial class?" Um, so yeah, yeah, falls uh, actually a lot better. And then um, 
One of the econ professors was in the works at the time of developing this. Um, Wabash itself doesn't have an accounting major. Uh, doesn't even have an accounting minor, has a business minor and that's it. But she was working on this pipeline program with Kelly School and just asked uh, me to kind of come in on the meetings when the, the dean from down there was coming up and um, she was getting ready to retire. So basically that all got handed over to me. Oh boy. Um, so I, I've kind of been the, the main contact over there. Um, they're, they're, one of the things the whole agreement was, was to start this intermediate class. Mm-hmm. Um, intermediate accounting is normally a two semester class and to, to get everything to work logistically, we need to do at least the first semester of it at Wabash. So I knew I, I could teach that one okay. It's just kind of the next step of financial accounting. Mm-hmm. And um, had some pushback from some people because I'm not a PhD. And um, if you spend any time in academia, that's um, that that's a big holdup for some people. If you're not a PhD, you don't belong in there. Um, thankfully though, the, the, one of the deans at the time, uh, he's since retired, but uh, he basically had the idea of, okay, if you're going to have, if you're going to have a house built or going to have someone who's going to build, teach you to build the house, would you rather have someone who's read about building houses for 20 years or someone who's built houses for 20 years. Exactly. Um, so that was enough to get, um, you know, to, to get them to allow me to teach the intermediate class. Um, then honestly, things um, kind of actually grew from there. The um, financial accounting class got big enough that they actually had to bring in another part-time to split that class up. Um, because there there was one semester I had 48, mm. which for a school the size of Wabash is unheard of. Um, and there was about 10 more on the waiting list that couldn't get in. Um, we had to cut it at 48 because that's all the room would physically hold. Um, so, so um, from there, I mean, after that first semester, kind of using uh, his blueprint, um, I've been able to develop things more on um, my own uh, um, kind of within my own thoughts. I've, I, you know, I've, I've brought in um, the intermediate curriculum. I pretty much wrote it myself. I went down and met with some professors at uh, Kelly School, but um, and actually talked to one of my old professors back down at Franklin, and um, which he he. Um, he left me with the joke that said, Professor Hensley, those are two words I never thought I'd hear side by side. <laughs> um, but uh, Coach Prather said the same thing. So I'm like, I'm getting offended here. Come on. Um, but um, what I, I really learned from those guys is, is I mean, and I, I talked to them about this a lot is, um, you know, a lot, a lot of things are um, said by us 
older generation to you know millennials, Gen Z, what whatever they are now. Um, but and and there are some that you know, like with anyone, the the stereotype fits. Um, but there, I've I've met a lot of young men over there that um, that really, I mean, they, they're they're yeah, they're 20, 21 years old. So the I always tease them: your frontal cortex isn't developed yet. Um, but they um, they they want to learn. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I've kind of done, I'm still doing in pushing that that pipeline or i've even been in contact with other grad schools um for their msa programs is um just the profession itself the accounting profession itself is aging considerably i mm-hmm. mean i go to some of these conferences i'm a young guy yeah <laughs> and, and um at 53 that scares me that i'm one of the younger guys um so i communicate that to them that there there are so many opportunities and and it's uh allowed me to kind of bring bring in speakers to kind of you know let them know that uh you know accounting is is not the guy with the green visor sitting in the back room on a 10 key all day um as you know that's uh, more and more of that side of thing AI is taken care of. Uh, more and more of the the bookkeeping input type function is is getting taken care of. Um, what's what's needed now are guys that can um, that can analyze everything, right. and um, especially in in these days of big data and stuff. Who's who's it's more aligned to analyze all this data and count than a CPA, because that, that's what we do. We take a whole bunch of information, find out what's relevant to the problem, and use that to solve the problem. Um, the other big thing that I I love to, to, to be able to do over there is, yeah, we'll go through a lesson, and I'll do, I call them the, the nice little textbook problems that, you know, the, the answer is a nice round number. And then I tell them, so, okay, now this is how it works in the real world. It, it, it doesn't always line up like this. Um, so I'll, I'll give them problems. Then some of them, you know, of course, names change to protect the innocent, but problems I've dealt with. And they'll, they'll have to work their way through that and be able to analyze that. And um, so that that's probably the biggest thing I, I i still the the world of academia is still a foreign country for me um just because it's so different than than for lack of a better term the real world um but i've you know I, i've learned how to navigate through it i'm still i don't think <laughs> Every day, I don't think I belong there. Um, especially, I, you know, I go to a faculty meeting. I'm like, I this this is just weird. I mean, when first time I heard the term committee on committees, they have yeah. a committee to talk 
to, to pick the committees. And I'm like, that's okay. That's academia. Okay. Just accept it and move on. That's kind of like the bank. I'm, I'm sorry. What was that? Kind of like the banking industry. <laughs> we have meetings to determine what they're going to talk about at meetings. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That, exactly. And the, the committee on committees, that's, that's really what they do. The, the committee on committees meets to talk about what other committees we need. Yeah. Um, your involvement in the community is evident through your teaching and your work. Um, how do you think your contributions uh, have made a difference in West Central Indiana? And what role does your firm play in supporting um, local businesses? Um, I, I think the my role has basically kind of become a... Um, you know what the AICPA has pushed since the the dark days of Enron and Arthur Anderson um, is to just become a trusted advisor. Um, and on my limited small scale, that's that's what I try to be. Um, you know, I I don't I don't really hesitate. You know, if I you know I go up to whoa. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, somehow lost picture. That's okay. Uh, is it coming back? Okay. Oh, well, they'll clean all this up. Okay. They'll clean it all up. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, as as trusted advisor, uh, there. I, I I've never. You know, I, I had a doctor were, client for a while. That, you, you were kind of intermittent there for, for, for a moment. So okay. Yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead and start again. Okay. Um, yeah, the, just the, the idea on a smaller scale is a trusted advisor. Um, it uh, Basically, I mean, if, if, if I'm around town, if I'm. You know, especially when my son was younger and youth sports and and stuff like that, and I'm helping to coach that. And you know, I'm I'm you know sitting in a dugout at a little league game. Between innings, someone comes up. <laughs> um, you know, at, at first I thought that was really weird, but then I thought, you know, that that's that's who I'm seen as in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's what they see me as. I mean, yeah, to, to, to these little kids, I'm coach Hensley, but to them, to the, to the other parents, um, you know, that, that's kind of where I am. So, so okay. I've never uh, really been offended by that. Yeah. You, you, you froze um, again I, there. That's what I was um, gifted with. That's kind of what yeah, you, you, fr- you froze. You're frozen. Yeah. So uh, what we'll do. Yeah, it keeps kind of. Um, that's okay. Um, because they're going to clean all this up. We'll probably just stop it there and uh, we'll pick you up on it. We've only got a couple of questions left, so it'll pick okay. us up next one. Um, are you showing. Because I'm not seeing it. Are, are you showing that your internet uh, is stable? Uh, 
Well, it is now, but like I said, I, I completely lost picture a while ago. Yeah. Everything well, seems to be. What we do that uh, while it's working, <laughs> let's just uh, get, get through these last couple of questions because okay. we're almost done. Um, Ed, uh, that's all. That, that's great stuff. But you know what I'd li- really like to know is how you define success. My thoughts on success um, is honestly, I mean, it's one of those things that really is subjective from person to person. Um, my, uh, um, I really think success is if you you've you've set a goal that's going to push you. Because um, anyone can set a goal that's easy to get to and um, doesn't take a whole lot of work and can get to it and say, oh yeah, I'm successful. Um, my idea of success is to 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 look at a goal that's something you like to do, something that but is something that's going to push you um, in, in whatever field it is. Mm-hmm. And as far as professionally, um, physically, um, even spiritually, things like that, you have these different goals. And I think a, sometimes maybe not completely achieving them, but the the success itself is kind of the continuing to pursue it. Um, you know, I think back to the, um, my son loved, was, even though he's gone, still, still loves Kobe Bryant. Um, and one of the things that he always said was that he, he wanted, he always pursued perfection, knowing he would never get there. But the success was just in being able to push himself to continue to pursue that. Um, kind of along those lines, I mean, um, my idea of success is, is just constantly moving toward that um, big goal. And if you do get there, immediately make a bigger one. And because you, you don't want to, I mean, you can be um, comfortable in your situation, but you never want, and you can, you know, kind of be satisfied in what you've been able to accomplish, but you never want to get complacent. That's good stuff. I think when you get complacent, that's that's when you just need to lay down and go away. <laughs> is is there anything uh, you wish to share that I, I might not have asked you? Um, no, I think that last question that that was that was one of my one to make sure to share is just to um, probably the only thing I might add to that is to when you're pursuing that big goal um one thing one of the things i do in the intermediate class this is one of the things that sold it on some of the other academics was after each exam i got three exams during the semester we do an ethics talk where we sit down we just talk i'll have them do a reading and then we'll just sit and talk kind of like we are today Mm -hmm. um but when you're pursuing that big goal and I talked with it with the with the men over there is before you get started on that journey to 
think about your um, kind of your, for lack of a better term, your moral compass. What what would you not do to get there? And when you have that that kind of that um, moral compass, that um, that credo, um, then you you know it 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 helps guide you a lot because a lot of times if you're on the pursuit to that and you think okay if I just do this one little thing you think it's going to get you further that way but it ends up derailing um, to to just have a credo um, you know always uh, um, this is usually my opportunity when I when I have that talk with them to uh, bring in a, the, a Bible story. And uh, um, I'll talk about uh, when Daniel was being carted off to Babylon. And he, um, he chose in his heart. He wasn't going to eat the king's food. He wasn't going to eat the food given, you know, um, um, presented to idols. I mean, he was, he, he set his, credo then and there and i think the same thing for for young men and women um rising in the the business world or or anything is just to have that credo in place so when the um because because sure enough on the way there there's going to be the opportunity to cheat yeah uh to to short you know someone's going to say hey here's a shortcut and um, but when you when you see that shortcut is is going to violate that credo, then it's it's not worth it. It's going to sidetrack you a lot more than you can imagine. Okay, that's excellent. That's excellent. We're we're going to wrap this up, but before I do, um, with all your success that you've accomplished and and, and had, um, what is your biggest challenge today my biggest challenge um today and has been is um keeping that balance between um professional and 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 personal um you know they say the work-life balance i think that's the the catchphrase okay um you know, as my kids were growing up, um, that that got a little difficult some days. Um, you know, because I early on I had a a bad habit of when I was with them, with the wife and the family, I'm thinking about things I need to do at the office, and you know, I'd come in either late at night sometimes or on Saturdays. And I can't focus because I know I should be shooting baskets with Ian in the driveway. Because, um, you know, I'd, the, the way he was back then, you know, I'd leave at seven in the morning. He's already out there shooting. <laughs> and uh, um, so that, that is something that even though the kids are, are pretty much grown now, um, you know, my daughter's 23. My son's getting ready to start his sophomore year at DePaul. Um, but it's still something that I I have to work on 
because, um, well, for example, Ian um, plays basketball for, for DePaul. And I'd catch myself at his games going through my to-do list from the office. And, um, you know, I'd have to snap out of that. Now, thankfully, I've gotten better at that. And it is a little easier now that they are grown and they're um, more um, doing their own thing. But what I, I have to focus on now is um, now I've got an empty nester wife that <laughs> um, has has a lot more time than she used to without little kids at home. So especially through the summer, um, she teaches kindergarten. So especially through the summer, um, you know, to, just to make sure I'm, I'm, when I'm with her, I'm plugged in there. Yeah. And, and then when I'm here, I'm plugged in here. I'm not um, focusing, focusing on that any more than I have to. Right. Yeah, I get it. So that's, I think that's, that's probably a, a struggle any, you know, any business owner or, or sometimes just professional in general is I, going to have. So. I agree. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap things up here, uh, Ed. Okay. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Yes. Thank you. And uh, we've got your contact information at the bottom of the screen, uh, but okay. would you like to share with our audience how they uh, might learn more about you or get a hold of you? Um, part of the, the easiest way is just to, to give us a call. Uh, it's, um, I think it's down there, 765-359-1925. Um, you know, um, uh, even if you're not in the immediate area, um, a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll just set up phone meetings okay. or Zoom meetings like this, or, or um, that's, that's how um, I've said, you know, mostly West Central Indiana, but um, I've, I've got a client in Florida. I've got to have a Zoom meeting with a little later. And, uh, um, you know, I've got one in Montana and I've got a couple in Arizona. And, and um, so don't, what, one of the blessings that came out of COVID was uh, a lot of things like this. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been able to, um, been able to communicate a lot better with people that aren't driving distance to me. Right. Um, so, um, so yeah, so don't, don't, um, anybody that's watching this, don't hesitate to contact just because, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in Missouri. Yeah. Or, uh, um, so yeah, just as give us a call. Um, I'm always willing to, um, you know, have an initial meeting, just kind of talk about your situation and, you know, we'll, we'll honestly look at things and see if it's something we can help with or, Sometimes with the with the advising, the best advice is for you to you know find some find the Ed Hensley in your area. Yeah, uh, and there's uh, um, there's sure to be one where wherever you go. Yeah, well, Ed, thank you very much, and to our yeah. audience. Um, uh, we appreciate you being here today and, and stopping in to listen and, 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 and listen to Ed and, and myself. Um, so, you know, keep coming back, better business, better life, building on your success. Uh, come and, and uh, join us next week as well. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. This has been the Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success podcast. 
If you have questions about creating tax-free wealth and income, forward-looking tax mitigation, strategic risk mitigation, wealth preservation and legacy planning, and advanced financial management, go to DuponAdvisory.com or email Terry at DuponAdvisory.com. Forty-nine faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.